Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two, your service team's personal coach, giving them the process, resources, and insights to deliver the perfect customer experience over the phone. Learn more at HAPPITU.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Next in Q. I'm your host, Rob DeWire, and today, joining me from the ATL, Sean Illenry, the VP of Support at Dutchie. Welcome, Sean. How are you? I'm doing great. Busy week, which means that I'm, I'm being useful. So I'm that, happy. <laughs> yeah, that is always good. So uh, we're going to talk about kind of what you're doing today at Dutchie, and uh, also I want to touch on uh, corporate dad. But first, before we do that, you know, the thing that I like to do is I like to find out kind of how you got to where you are. So take us, take us all the way back. Let's hop in the time machine and uh, tell me how you got into just customer service, customer support, that type of stuff. Where was your first job? Man, so first job, like everyone else, my official first job was McDonald's. You know, I was I was actually still in middle school, lied about my age. Wow. <laughs> you know, you wanted to get going. Yeah, you know, I have to help out, chip in. So I, I was a um, cashier and the most I could do was make fries. But I was that guy who I would probably not hire me. <laughs> you know, just having a good time goofing around. Um, but I did that for years, fast food up until, man, maybe I was an adult. Um, but the plan was, I love music. Like I thought I was going to grow up and be a singer, but I couldn't sing. Uh, <laughs> but I was that talent show kid because I could dance. So never okay. thought about corporate world, never thought about call centers. I didn't even know what that was. Um, so, you know, while all my friends were going off to college, I did bad. Didn't, I didn't graduate on time dropped out for a little while and I'm kind of like, okay, at a crossroads, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And at this point, my mom gets sick. She asked me to move with my friend in their attic and I'm like sleeping in the car, right? So I'm a 19 year old kid, don't have anywhere to go, sleeping on a couple of floors. All of my clothes are in the trunk of my 1987 Nissan Maxima. <laughs> and you just kind of grind it out and try to figure it out. But I got to a point where I said, okay, I have to try to get a job, just get something, right? And, and just work my way in the real world. My mom, she gave me some good advice. She said, all your friends are in college now. So your goal needs to be, if you're not going to go, make sure you have just as much work experience as they have education by the time they graduate. And that way you're able to compete and still get jobs. Um, so I went into retail for a while, um, which led me into working at Walgreens. So when I got to Walgreens, started off doing photos and, and, and cash frontline cashier. Um, but my store manager day one, he's like, hey, I need your help. I need you to go in the stock room, go up 50 feet in the air, and I'm going to hand you these metal shelves to stack up 10 feet. First day of work. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I don't know any better. At this point, I'm maybe 20. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. And I went back and finished school, by the way. So I officially graduated. Um, but he saw so much promise in me. He's like, the fact that you do anything I say, and you're just, just such a hard worker, you know, keep doing that. So our pharmacy manager, she noticed me. She's like, what are you doing here? You should be in school. You know, you're too smart to, to just be sitting around here. So she's like, you know what? You know, months later, I'll hire you in the pharmacy. Uh, so her and the store manager talked and they were like, yeah, I give him the promotion. He works hard. So I got that job and quickly realized this is just like McDonald's. You got your drive through You got to fulfill your orders. You got your customers. No different. Um, but after doing that for a little while, I got approached by a family friend who said, Hey, we hire pharmacy techs at our call center. I'm like, what is a call center? You get to sit down all day and talk on the phone. I said, yes, I'll do it. I've never sat down <laughs> in my career in my life. And that's how I ended up in the call center world was that opportunity of going from a pharmacy tech to doing it for, um, the state of Texas Medicaid, which is outsourced by a company called ACS. Now it's Xerox. And that was my first time ever sitting down for work. And I loved it. Wow. That, that is absolutely fascinating. Now, so you're in Atlanta now. Did you grow up there or were you in Texas? Grew up in Atlanta. So I've gone back and forth. I lived in Florida for a little while and then moved back to Atlanta. And, and I move away again. I always come back. So, yeah. <laughs> Atlanta is, uh, I, 
It's been, uh, I don't know, four or five years since I've been there, but it is absolutely one of my favorite towns. Yeah. And uh, I did eat at the Vortex once, and I had uh, the triple bypass, and I ate it all in one sitting, I'm proud to say. Yeah, I did. I couldn't finish the tots on the side, <laughs> but I did eat the whole thing. Um, so anybody wants to look that up on the interwebs, the, the triple bypass at the Vortex is more food than any one person should eat in one sitting is what it is. It's yeah. disgusting. What <laughs> <laughs> worth it's a great once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, there are uh, times where I just feel like I got to put away all the food and that is one of my weaknesses. So, <laughs> so you ended up I assume moving up like a lot of people do in this business. And I think one of the great things about contact centers is that you can come in and you don't need a degree and you can just learn the business. And then there are all these different avenues that you can take as you move forward in your career. How did you end up, it's certainly not the only thing that you've done, but how did you end up in workforce? Yeah, so I was doing the frontline support thing for a couple of years, primarily in the pharmaceutical space or insurance space. I did State Farm for a little while, but that was kind of my thing. And, and I had an opportunity to interview for, I think it was like a more of a, a client services role within customer or within customer care, but didn't get the opportunity. So as a frontline rep, my last year doing frontline, uh, I'm working for this pharmaceutical company and I, and I would work during the day, Monday through Thursday, and then Friday nights I'd work overnight. And then every other week I'd work Friday and Saturday overnight. Uh, so one night I decide to be stupid and say, you know what, I'm the, I'm the only one here in the building. Let me go ahead and go grab something to eat, you know, even though I was supposed to bring my lunch every night. So I took a little bit longer than I should. I'm paying back calls abandoned and now it's overnight, not a lot of volume. Uh, but I come back to work that Monday morning and my manager says, hey, you had too many occurrences. And if you work in call centers, you know what that is. Uh, you exceeded your lunch break. We had abandoned calls. Um, you're terminated. And this is like devastating. You know, um, my wife now, you know, at the time we were still engaged. She uh, we had a young kid and I'm freaking out because she's working as well. But clearly we need the two incomes. Like we're maybe making yeah grand combined maybe um so i'm looking for jobs i'm trying to get back on the front line and somehow weird things would happen just couldn't get the opportunities where like i'm failing microsoft office tests was just the easiest thing in the world and i'm like what is going on so once again uh, another family friend um here he says hey we're hiring for this role uh you know it's it's a dollar analyst it's it's it, we, we do workforce optimization uh, I don't know what that is at the time. I'm like, I never even saw workforce management. Nowhere I worked, I saw them. You know, I got my schedule and knew what it was. Um, so uh, he says, here's the catch. It's an hour and a half away from your house. So I'm telling him, no, there's no way I'll do it. I'm not doing it. Um, and then after I kept messing up on every other job, I said, you know what? I'll take the interview. Took the interview, killed it, got the job my first salary position, not hourly. So I'm like, I'm the man, you know, so I'm happy about <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> and the most money I had ever made, maybe it was like 32 grand. So I'm so excited about it. Um, so first, I want to see first day of work. We drive out there at this point, I have like a 1994 Honda. Uh, on the way home, my engine dies. <laughs> first day uh. of work. <laughs> so hour and a half away, what am I going to do? So thankfully, my boss at the time, like he helped me out, helped me get home. And I had to scramble and find a new car with waiting for a paycheck, right? That was tough. But uh, that's how I got into workforce. And I was once I got that opportunity, and I was on the outbound side, which is not as, you know, popular as the inbound, especially if we're an outsourcer, I'm working for an outsourcer. Yeah. And I'm having to understand dialer analytics, a little bit of SQL strategy, and then staffing and employee morale and how you get that all together with a high sales program and i'm doing the work and i'm loving it and my boss is giving me more and more of the duties um and i had two peers that were in utah and my boss and i we were in atlanta well kennesaw we're in georgia 
So a few months down the line, I'm loving my job. You know, I'm having a good time. I'm building relationships. My RVPD gets ousted from the company. They had new ownership come in. He was one of the ones impacted and he actually had already had another opportunity at another company. But he says, I'm taking my guy with me. So he took <laughs> my supervisor with him. So now I'm in a situation where it's like, okay, I'm the newest one on the team, but I had all the supervisor duties that he had handed off to me. Um, and my two peers are in Utah. So I just stepped up and said, okay, I'm the senior analyst now. <laughs> and not official, never got the promotion, but we had no, we had no leadership. Our entire leadership team is gone. It's just me and these guys. And we're covering seven days a week between three people. And I want to say our hoops were 8 a.m. to like 1 a.m. So we had to just grind it out, working six days a week for like nine months straight, where I'm working Sunday by myself, open Monday for strategy, come back, close Monday night. And it just, we had to keep it up. So from there, eventually got promoted to supervisor and then um, did that for a while. But my, my manager opportunity came where I'm at a point where, you know, I'm still at the same company. My team is growing. I need to grow my team because our, our business had grown. We performed so well with the clients like saying, we want to give you more volume. Um, but I had my two guys in Utah. I hired one person in Kennesaw, but I needed a much bigger team. So I had a new leader at the time from Wisconsin. Her name is Heather Joel. She's awesome. She was based in Mexico at the time. So I said, hey, I really would love to hire two, two more analysts in Utah. She said, well, how about you hire five analysts in Mexico and come <laughs> down here and train them? I said, well, I'd love that. Couple of days go by, I get a phone call. Actually, how about you relocate down to Mexico <laughs> and build the team and live here for a little while? So my wife's pregnant. We just got married. She's pregnant with our second kid, and our other kid is four at this point. So now we're. I'm saying, okay, my in-laws are going to kill me. Um, but it was. She told me. She said, "This is going to change your resume. It's going to change your life to be able to build a team internationally. You don't speak Spanish. It's going to put you in a position where you're forced to be a better leader." So I, I relocated, got the, the official manager opportunity, and we just knocked it out the park. And by the time I left there, I became a global manager, which is a senior manager, and I had the biggest inbound account as well. I had log and admin for the entire company. So it was a success story in the sense that I went there and I was able to get promotions and grow as a leader, but we didn't have much guidance. My leader told me, figure it out. There's no budget, so you got to be scrappy. And, um, you know, and, and I'm happy to say that team that I hired, all five of my first five analysts that I hired in Mexico, they're all in management or at director level today. And that to me was the win because one of the guys on my team, he was an engineer in the U.S. His family's from the U.S., but he got deported. So his wife and kids had to move with him to Mexico and they're living like in a shed at their auntie's house. And by the time I left, he was able to be a supervisor when I left. And then he was back on the data side uh, for logging administration. And he was able to buy his own house. And to me, to go That's from, you great. know, making what he was making and making three bucks an hour as an agent, then be able to make something good. That, that was a success. And it changed my life from a leadership standpoint. And I said, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to help others have the same opportunity I had to grow. That is a fantastic story. And I think it really speaks to a lot of things in this industry, which is, you know, sometimes <laughs> you are working with little or no direction. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to be scrappy, right? The budget may or may not be there for whatever that you're trying to accomplish. And sometimes, particularly if you're on the outsourcing side of things, uh, you may get asked to move if you're performing well, and that can be a really incredible experience. Yeah. What was it like for you, aside from the growth opportunity, what was it like for you with this, you know, a young family relocating to Mexico? How long were you there? Oh, we were there about a year and a half, and I kept going back and forth for like, so almost two years, but yeah, so it was... It was um, on a personal level, when we first got there, my, we thought we'd have our second son in Mexico. We just made the decision, we're gonna have him here. He'll have dual citizenship. But as we got closer to her due date, she said, I need mom. And her family at the time was living in Louisiana and Baton Rouge. Her brother was back at LSU okay. playing football. He was a rock star. So her parents had relocated back to Louisiana. So she flew there with my son. So at my first 30 days, I was kind of just by myself, right? 
I didn't have cable yet. So I'd go home and have nothing. So I just stay at work all day. You know, my team was my yeah. family. Uh, I had my dog there with me too, which was nice. But it was one of those moments where it, it taught me a lot about, you know, I'm a first generation American, but to be in an environment where you don't speak the primary language and you see, you see true poverty, right? Where I think in the US we have poverty, but it's not at the level you can see. It was very eye-opening. So my personal level, it made me just have more of an inter international mindset of, you know, um, it's not easy moving somewhere. My parents moved to the U.S. and had to start from scratch. And it, it, I'm more empathetic for those who move here. And you may not know the language or you may not even know what street you're going to or the customs. So I'm very uh, empathetic to that. Um, but in addition, I, I'm also passionate about understanding that in the U.S., we give outsourcing a bad name. Oh, you're, you're pushing jobs overseas. And, and so, to an extent, it's true. But at the same time, when you have this global economy, you see the opportunities of people like in the Philippines who are taking a bus three hours to get to work, to work, you know, eight hour shift and then may spend the night there so they can be there for the next shift. And it's you're giving the opportunity for the world to be able to feed their families. Um, so it, it impacted me in that way. Um, my family, you know, it was challenging. Well, my wife loved it. You know, she enjoyed it. Um, you know, she had to be a stay at home mom, you know, for the first time, just kind of. Uh, you know, with the boys, but our four-year-old, he actually broke his leg and had to get a cast that was halfway up to his body. Oh. So for oh. a few months, it's like she had to, you know, carry him to the restroom and everything. So she has a baby, an infant now, plus, you know, this young man. And, and, and uh, it was tough and he just enjoyed playing video games all day. You know, now he's a gamer because of that moment. Um, but that was the hardest part of it. But overall, it was a great experience because we were away from family. We were away from our friends that we grew up with. So as a family unit, we kind of just connected more um, and got a chance to know who each other were. Like, you know, we were at that point together for five, six years. But when you get the noise out of the room, it's just you and your spouse yeah. kind of know it a little bit better. Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, certainly, I think a lot of people may have <laughs> maybe too much experienced that over the last couple of years, may have had uh, both positive and negative impacts on some relationships, but you're right when, when you just have to spend time with each other and, and um, there's not a lot of other people to talk to, right? Your relationship is either going to get a lot stronger or, or you're going to realize that maybe this wasn't the right relationship. So I'm glad that uh, it got a lot stronger for you. <laughs> yeah. So you've spent a lot of time and we don't have to go through all these different stops that you've had along the way but you've spent a lot of time in the outsourcing world the global outsourcing world servicing these um, sometimes really huge uh, clients and uh, programs that may have a few thousand agents that that you're supporting and then just recently, I think it's been, what, four or five months, you uh, started at Dutchie. Yeah. Which is insourced. What's the biggest difference from going from that outsourcing world to insourcing? Oh, I love this question. I, I'd say it was a rude awakening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Being on the outsource side for years, you know, we always said, man, I, the goal is to the promised land, to be the client. I want to be on the client side. I want to be in a captive environment um, because when you're on the outsource side, I call it paid ed education. You're not going to get the best salary, if even close to the best salary. You're going to do a lot more than you typically would do in a captive environment. And it's a blessing because I learned so many skills that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to had I been with, let's say, you know, an AT&T internally for many years. Um, with respect to AT&T. Um, but I'd say where it, I had the shock was when I went. So at the time I was working for Lorica and I, um, the largest outsourcer in America, you know, globally, they're, they're number three. Um, and I'm supporting AT&T DirecTV, you know, so I have thousands of agents that I'm supporting. And I switch over and I get my first captive job with Comcast. And I'm like, okay, you know, they're a big company, been around a long time. They're going to have this call center stuff down pat. 
Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, where it's not that they didn't have the processes and systems in place, but when it came to the, 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 the focus on productivity and efficiency that I had been so accustomed to on the outsourcing side, it was the exact opposite. And I'll give an example. Uh, they may, I may get in trouble for this. Forgive me, my Comcast people. Um, but when I first came to work, the first thing I noticed was at this time, they hired me on as you know, director of workforce management. And so I'm, I'm cognizant of shrinkage. I'm cognizant of you know, aux time. I noticed we had agents in a meeting, what they call NPS meetings, NPS huddles, where basically they get together and they talk about, you know, employee, I mean, customer experience and what they can be doing better, but calls are in queue. And I come from a world where all activities get canceled, (laughs) but it was, no, we have to protect these huddles. And I said, well, it's kind of like walking into a restaurant and seeing a long wait, but seeing the wait staff in a huddle. And they're talking about how they can service you better while you're waiting for them to service you. (laughs) So that was one of those things to me. But the flip side of that was, okay, they weren't as efficient. They weren't as, you know, keen on balancing productivity and customer experience, but they were high customer experience. Now you're Mm -hmm. part of that strategy. So even now being at Dutchie and then I was at Toast prior to here, both all three captive environments. It's there's a bigger focus on the strategy, the customer experience, and it's not so rigid. You know, it's more of how do we build the best experience, not only for our customers, but our employees. And being on the outsourcing side, you never really got that, hey, employee, rah, rah. But in these environments and captive environments, it's very much employee first. How do we make you the best, develop you, spend the money to make sure you have the right amount of training and coaching uh, versus saying, hey, you get 30 minutes a week, good luck, right? Um, yeah. So I say so. There's pros and cons to each, but I learned that these are not call center companies. They're not call center experts. They sell a product, and over here, these are the experts. So I think both need each other because the best case scenario to me is when you have an internal team and an external team, and they handle the same volume, and they can kind of compare notes and kind of iron sharpens iron and compete against one another. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what I've learned since making this move. Yeah, it fascinates me, right? That the one thing about being an outsourcer is that you learn all kinds of different businesses, but you learn the business of contact center. Yeah. And and all of the things that go into that. When you're in that captive environment, you learn that business, but you probably get a far more in depth and have opportunities to move into other areas of the business. Just like in the contact center, you can move into other areas because there are other areas of the business, right? It's not just agents and supervisors, right? Workforce is an area, but you could move into a totally different area when when you're in that captive environment. And so there's just a there's a difference into number one, what the paths are, and number two, kind of where your expertise ends up um, forming as you grow within that organization. And you're right that they're both really important. They're just a little bit different. Yeah, 100% agree. So how did you first, I mean, you talked about this a little bit, but but let's talk about that balance between I have calls in queue and I need to coach for better performance. Yeah. I mean, how do you deal with that? Or, or how do you look at that differently today maybe than you looked at it when when you first saw this happening and you're going, ah, I need people on the phones now. Yeah, you know, good question. I, um, you know, for me, there was a point in time where my first director role, I was hired as director of workforce management for a small outsourcer in Atlanta. So I went from an outsourcer that had tens of thousands of employees to one that was a couple hundred um, and quickly realized I can't do workforce management there. The way we were set up, it just, we didn't have the right planning groups in place where we had to really figure out how to organize it, but we also didn't have manager SOPs and guidelines 
So the, the good news is that because of my outsourcing experience, even though I was in workforce, I was very close to what we call the operation side, you know, where mm-hmm. I was a part of those performance conversations and how to make things better. So I came up with the plan with a small team. I had a team called Mission Impossible, where we kind of said, this is the reorg that needs to happen. We presented it to the executive team and they said, okay, we love it, but now you own operations too. <laughs> so my first time now being the site director I was like, okay, I have to step my game up. So in that environment, it helped me really understand by the time I got to Comcast, Toast and Dutchie, that it all really comes down to the planning. If you don't plan for it, you will struggle. And in workforce, we know that, but I never thought about it from the aspect of you want to also plan your development. So you want to make sure, okay, what is the budget that's going to be required and shrinkage to make sure I have enough training time and I need to hold my enablement team accountable for making sure we have the content and we have the trainers available, but I also need to make sure I budget for the right amount of coaching, developing. Do I have enough leadership in place? So do I, okay, I have my team manager, but do I need a team lead that can assist with this coaching or SME or, or are you something in between? Um, and then you create that culture, that coaching and development culture, and you can tie in customer experience. You can tie in, um, you know, just skill set and soft skills and product and, um, knowledge. But the key is it has to be planned for. And then a lot of times when you're on the outsourcing side, you, you the client tells you, you get this much time to be in shrinkage and this is all is non-billable. So if it's right. non-billable, we're not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> or we'll do a very small amount of it. So, so being on this side, you know, the first thing I thought coming in was we got to have the right budget. You know, what are we budgeting for shrink today? Are we even tracking shrinkage? No, we're not. So now we have to reverse engineer this a bit, right? And whatever we do before I talk to finance, I'm going to make sure we have the customer focus, the employee focus engagement baked into that budget. So now we can have a comprehensive shrink strategy. So it's not too big of a, we have to be as efficient as possible. Now, the flip side of that is what if we're just understaffed, right? What if we get to a place where we had more attrition, our volume is spiking. At that point, you have to be transparent with your floor and say, hey, we're going to have blackout dates. We're going to have to pull back a little bit. Um, And that's where you have to bring some of those BPO practices in to say, hey, we need mandatory overtime. Um, Or maybe we do voluntary time off. We have too many people or, hey, too much, too much availability. Let's do some more development. So you have to be nimble, but I've just learned being on this side of it. If you don't get it in front of your finance team early, you'll never get it. <laughs> you want to make sure it's there in the budget. Yeah, absolutely has to be in the budget. So let's talk about Dutchie a little. I'm curious. So number one, right? You're in Atlanta. The company is based in Bend. And I think uh, some people may or may not know what Dutchie does. So uh, my curiosity lies in, did you have any concerns going into a business model that is, I guess, we're emerging and, and maybe in a little bit of a gray area? Like, what was your thought process with that? Yeah, you know, so, so Dutchie, we are... Um... I like to say, I, I strongly believe, maybe the data is against me, but we're the biggest hardware and software provider for the cannabis industry. Um, and our ultimate goal is to make cannabis safe and easy, and you can, anyone can access it. If you need it, you can have it. And we're, we're a mixture between, we have you know, Shopify as far as we help companies with their websites, DoorDash, you know, Delivery, Square, POS. So when you talk about those three different big verticals, all in one, it's a lot. It's a bit of a challenge, Mm -hmm. Um, but we're also highly regulated. So each state is different. And we have very large clients that may have uh, dispensaries across 13 different states. Well, each one of those states have different laws and we need to help and make sure that they're compliant to each one. So coming into this industry for me, I live in Georgia, it's not legal. You know, it's not something that I've had access to. and if you would have asked me five years ago, would I have taken this opportunity? I probably would have hesitated. Uh, in this day and age, I wanted it badly. Um, and the reason why is, I think, a couple reasons. On a personal note, 
you know, my wife, she had to get spinal surgery at the top of this year. And she, we found mm. out last year that she has degenerative disc disease. She's only 33. Sorry for putting your age out there. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's something we found out where she was in so much pain last year because her discs were crumbling and pinching into her nerve. And the doctor said, hey, you have to get this taken care of or else it's, you're going to be go paralyzed if on your left arm, if it gets your nerve gets severed. So over a few months period, as she was waiting to get her surgery, she tried everything, all the pain meds, muscle relaxers, nothing would help. It would just make her drowsy. Um, and then we tried CBD. It was the one thing that helped and it didn't fully take away the pain, but it got her down from, let's say an eight to like a three or four. And it was remarkable. And it was one of those things where, man, if we had access to more potent cannabis, um, you know, where we could do it legally, not have to worry how much better would she have been? And it was so much better on her health outside of her eating uh, <laughs> <laughs> the munchies. So I just got passionate about it after then where it was one you get caught up in the documentaries and, you know, you really see these children who benefit from it. So I, I've been I've become passionate about making a difference in this industry, especially on the legal side, where you look at those who are locked up and seeing that Dutchies, you know, we support not just with our mouth, but with our money, the last prisoner project, which essentially is funding getting individuals out of prison who were locked up for cannabis. You know, there's some serious time, 10 years for a dime bag, you know, where it's like, how yeah. do you get those people out? Um, so I think that, that that's where I come from personally. I think I also have a responsibility. I love being in tech. Um, but I also want to, I'm aware that when you have tech, you have cannabis, you don't have a lot of representation, especially for black guys who don't even have a college degree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's one of those things where it's like, from where I come from, from my background, I think it's important to have representation, especially in the cannabis industry, because it's a, it's, you have to have at least half a million dollars to get in this industry, you know, and unfortunately a lot of women and minorities don't have that. So it's not so much to say, hey, we need to have a seat at the table and we deserve it. It's let's start it. You know, let's be a part of the change. No, let's not just watch it. Um, so I just think it's a responsibility for me to open up doors and show others. Yes, it's scary because federally it's not legal, but we can be a part of this too. And they also deserve to have our insights and our voice as well. They're looking for it. We're not, they're not holding us out. It's more of the fear that hold us, holds us out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really insightful. And, and I, I love that, right. The company is, uh, has more, the mission is more than just making money. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. And I can tell that you're really passionate about it. One of the things that I know that you're also passionate about is, uh, and we're kind of touching on this, right? But helping other people with their success, not just within um, the the contact center industry, which obviously you've been helping people um, grow themselves for years, but you have your own business called Corporate Dad. Tell me about that. Why did you start that? And what is it that you do? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's not something I ever thought about doing. Um, it came up within the last couple of years because for one, Corporate Dad is a play on Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I love that book. A lot of us love that book. Um, but I felt as if, especially in this current era of social media, you, we, we sensationalize and we glamorize being an entrepreneur. That, hey, you know, everyone should be an entrepreneur. Everyone should start a business and you should be a millionaire. Don't work for the man. And the reality of it is, 80 to 85% of us are going to be working for somebody. And the best entrepreneurs started off working from somebody else. They could learn how to be good employees and good leaders. Um, so I felt as if there was a gap between, you know, you can actually grow in your career and still be successful and, and invest and also have your own side business. Um, so I thought it was important that someone talked about that. But the original idea for Corporate Dad and the reason why it's called Corporate Dad outside of Rich Dad Poor Dad is that I was just going to make a YouTube channel for my kids. <laughs> I have three sons and, you know, both of my parents, they passed away before I turned 30. So relatively young in their early fifties, uh, different reasons. So in the back of my mind, I said, man, I've learned so much that they didn't teach me. Right. I had to kind of just go through all this throughout my career. 
uh, and then having great virtual mentors and real mentors that, that can help me along the way. I want to be able to document this so that if anything happens, dad can talk to them by them just going to watch the videos. How do you maintain your credit? How do you how do you do well in leadership? How do you start a business? How do you climb the corporate ladder? How do you interview for these basic things, right? Um, but when I was working at Comcast, I had a lot of individuals who wanted me to mentor them. So I had so many mentees where it happened just organically. And it was one of those things where I realized this is a lot more people need this than just my kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people older than me, my peers, uh, women, men, no matter what it was, everyone needed this information. And, and I think a lot of times it really wasn't packaged and put out there. And when it comes from someone like me who I didn't get my master's, I'm not from Harvard, I'm not, you know, some person who who went a different route. I'm someone who should not be where I am statistically. So it's easier to swallow to say, okay, if you can do it, I know I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I started corporate dad really to start coaching and developing. And I give a lot of things away for free. I just, to me, it's more of a passion project where it's about, you know, how do I go and give back? And especially if I do retire from my day job, I never want to stop speaking and coaching, developing, because it's just something I'm passionate about. And my ultimate goal with it is to go to different schools, especially adult education programs, and be able to do workshops and have conversations. Um, But then also, like I said, leave my son something that if anything were ever happened, or let's be honest, they're not going to listen to me until they're probably 25. (laughs) So if I want to go back and hear what dad was saying at 32 or 35, then at least they have that option. Yeah, mine is uh, starting to come around. Uh, He's 20. So yeah, I've got at least five more years before he really starts listening. Uh, (laughs) So speaking of passions, you and I, the first time we talked, which was, I don't know, a, a month ago, right? We just we just hopped on a call after we kind of connected on LinkedIn. And we had a passionate discussion. And so I think it's time that we bring that to the forefront. Yes. So I'm just going to throw this out there and I want to hear your unpopular opinion. <laughs> What is the best Star Wars movie? Oh, man. So if you're going to unfollow me, unfollow me. It is what it is. Um, We've had a lot of great Star Wars movies. You know, the prequels are now looking better than they did when they first came out, for sure. Uh, Thank you to this last, you know, sequel. That was horrible. Um, But (laughs) by far, you know, Empire is up there. Empire Strikes Back surprised us all. We did not see the twists with uh, Darth, we did not see Luke losing. We did not see, you know, the Empire continuing to get stronger and Han getting frozen and Carbonite. We didn't see that coming. But Rogue One is by far the best Star Wars movie. Not just because everybody dies, which makes it great, but it's it's the story of the vantage point of if you ever played Battlefront or any of the Star Wars games, you get to see what it's like to be someone who's on the front line or someone who's fighting it from behind closed doors not the Jedi, not the Sith. These are just normal people impacting a revolution. Um, and then to be able to see the story and how it plays out and how it ends, you just didn't see that coming, but it makes sense because these characters didn't exist in the next series of movies. Um, but the best part by far, we got Darth Vader in all his glory. You know, <laughs> Kenobi series was okay you know, with the battling, but to see Darth Vader, you know, in that corridor. <laughs> <laughs> you got yes you haven't seen it like it's just the best one yeah uh it's funny i i think uh you became one of my new best friends when we had this conversation because i was very much on your side with this i agree that rogue one is probably the best star wars movie out there and for all the reasons that you mentioned right it's got Um, Also great character development in a short time. And um, there's there's still a a wide range of characters that you get introduced to. And I think it speaks to the the people that don't get all the attention, right? Uh, It's, (laughs) there's something about the people that do the 
you could almost call it the grunt work yeah and don't get recognized for it and that was a movie that kind of celebrated those people doing that work that uh didn't have an instant reward at the end yeah and uh i thought it was really great really great movie making that's so well said they didn't get okay unpopular opinion or maybe this will be a popular opinion i don't know what's what's about to happen here worst star wars movie Ooh, oh this is the easiest question i'm gonna answer <laughs> all day the last jedi <laughs> um it hurt my heart that was the first time i ever left a star wars movie even any movie made by disney whether pixar whether it's you know what what even uh marvel it was the only time I left disappointed. And I think not just the fact of the comical parts of it that just didn't make sense, the, the, the slow pace of them being traced by a ship behind them for the whole movie and then having an unimportant side mission. Uh, but <laughs> what really hurt my heart was they did such a great job um, in the prior movie, The Force Awakens, where they're building up this Ray character. She's OP, overpowered, way too soon. How did she get there? Why is she connected? Um, oh, how did I forget his name? To Kylo. How is she connected to Kylo? Um, but it's like, is she a Kenobi? Is she a Skywalker? Is she a Sidious? And then just to kind of find yourself in the throne room and they've just killed Snoke. And it's the worst battle ever because you can see them like not even hitting each other. And it's just, it ends on, oh, well, you're nothing. You're a nobody. Your parents were a nobody. It's like, wait a minute. I didn't wait a year and have two years of watching Star Wars series just to be told nothing. <laughs> so it was just a very disappointing movie. It felt as if the movies didn't connect and that Ryan Johnson was intentionally trying to go against every single thing and make another Empire movie, but there was no strategy behind it. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to just argue with you and say that episode nine was worse for almost all of the same reasons, <laughs> because I was even more disappointed. Also, because nothing made sense. Yeah, uh, we it was as if we just and this is what happened, right? I mean, they made Force Awakens. Uh, which was fan service, and I get it, right? I mean, yeah, sure, you basically remade a movie, and that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but there was no plan for what happens after, yeah. and I think episode eight and episode nine both really struggled with a continuity and an arc, and what are we going to do with these characters? And we went from Ray being, you know, you come from nothing to to really, to really, this this is what we got to lean on. Like, I'm for those that haven't seen it, I don't, I don't think I need to say spoiler alert. I mean, the movie's been out for a long time now, but really, Palpatine's back. Really, come on, like, come on. So, I don't disagree with you, but I don't agree with you because I think nine was worse. Like I was even more upset um, with that movie than I was with episode eight. It was just, it was all a hot mess. That's all there is to it. <laughs> I think I give nine grace because I felt as if it was, it was only bad because eight was bad. I think you're right. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm right. Kidding. This is what we're working with at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, I understand. Yes. Like, oh, Chewie I... died, but Chewie didn't die. You know, <laughs> 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 it was, it was a very awkward movie. <laughs> it, yes, it was a very awkward movie. There were, there were some, there was a lot of potential with yeah. all of it, there was a lot of potential and I feel like uh, that got squandered. So uh, you are uh, clearly, you're watching the new uh, Disney Plus series. So uh, of the, the properties that have come out since the launch of Disney Plus, what's yeah. the best of those? Oh, that's easy. I mean, well, if we're just talking Star Wars, are we including Marvel? Oh, oh, we're, well, we're, <laughs> let's, 
let's just expand the palette here. I know this is uh, nominally a podcast about customer experience and contact centers, but I go off script a lot. So let's just go. What's the best thing that you've seen on Disney Plus? Oh man, that's that's really it's tough because of course Mando by far, you know, best property for Star Wars. But then I have a higher respect for WandaVision now, which I was late to it because I'm like, I don't want to watch that love story. It's just, I thought it was just like a sitcom um, or remix of sitcoms. And then going back and watching it and seeing how it's just setting the tone for the rest of the MCU. Loki was great too. So it's tough. You know, once you include Marvel, that's where I get, ugh, I have no clue. Um, Mando for sure, but I have more respect for Wanda. And Loki's like maybe right there. It could be better than both of them, to be honest. Um, I just think as each movie comes out, it kind of changes my opinion. Yeah, no, I get it. So I just rewatched WandaVision uh, not all that long ago, a few weeks ago. Uh, maybe it was a month uh, because my wife hadn't seen it yet. Oh, wow. And she was not excited after the first i i think it it's one of those that takes an episode or two for you to like for it to get its feet because you're not really sure where things are going but once you get a few episodes in you're like oh okay and then it really builds up and it's a it's a really intriguing story and and um i really enjoyed it but i get for anyone that hasn't watched it if you're a marvel fan I agree. It's a really great show. It just it takes a minute. Give it give it a minute. Don't don't turn it off halfway through the first episode because you're yeah. doing yourself a disservice. Yes. I mean the first three episodes are basically just Easter eggs, right? Yeah. Kind of give you breadcrumbs and you would not see yeah. what's coming. It's coming. It's coming though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh you are doing something else. Let, let's let's switch gears here. Um you're doing something else locally with, uh, and forgive me, I've already forgotten the name, Link. Uh, Link and Power, yeah. Yeah, t t tell us about that. Yeah, so, you know, Link and Power was founded by a childhood friend of mine, family friend. Um, her name is Mimi. She's amazing. And um, she tends to try to put together communities that help initially start off to empower women. Um, and then it expanded to, to males as well. And it can expand to different industries, but primarily tech. Um, so I've had an opportunity to, to be a part of several of their events. Um, and, and they primarily have focused on the agile space, which if you're familiar with agile is essentially a subset of project management that's focused on agile methodologies that can really help you push product quality, but make sure you're doing it the right way and everyone comes together. And I'm a absolute novice in that area. So I have a great time being a part of these communities where I know nothing uh, because I get value and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I could take a little bit of this and put a little bit of that into what I do as well. So I had the opportunity, she did an event called Agile and Brunch in Atlanta, which uh, we're planning on bringing across the nation. And I, I hosted the panel um, and with some amazing coaches, amazing, amazing individuals. And it was, it was a great experience because I think a lot of times what we see in these tech spaces is that whether it's a generational difference or culture difference, you don't always get it all in one room. So it was nice to kind of have, uh, to bring it to, to more of a place where millennials and Gen Zs and Generation X could hang out and, and we had, you know, food, but we're sharing ideas and collaborating those lessons go across industries. So I'm, I'm working with her and her team to make sure they're pushing forward anything that, that she has going on. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, I love that uh, you mentioned, right, I am i don't know a lot in that space. And so I get value from it. Yeah. Because I think that we are often afraid to participate in something that we don't feel really, really comfortable with from a knowledge perspective, right? That I think that most of us want to be comfortable and we want to feel like we know what we're talking about in particularly in a group setting. 
what speaks to me as the, the way that we grow is when we get into something where we don't know what we're talking about and we can just learn and absorb things and figure out, okay, how do I translate that to what I'm doing currently? And so I think that's fantastic. And I, I think more people should should do those kinds of things, get out there and, and get uncomfortable and, and learn something. Yes. And to your point, it's challenging. It, it's uncomfortable. Um, but it, and it's funny, they treat me like family, like I'm one of them, knowing that I know nothing they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, What's Scrum, Scrum Master? Okay. And I'm learning things. So it's, it's awesome. But, uh, and, and would I ever go on the field personally? No. But I think we can always be ambassadors and advocates for other fields because I know at Dutchie, you know, we push product. That's so important yeah. to us. The quality of product, the way we, we put products to market and being in support, your number one ally in a, in a SaaS company is going to be the product and or the R&D department, whether it's product and engineering. If they push out great product and great code, your job's 10 times easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, having agilists who work with them to make sure that happens is the direct correlation to my department also having less stress. So it's so important to be engaged with departments like that that you know are outside of your scope. Yeah, yeah, that is great insight, and uh, you're hundred percent on that. Well, listen, Sean, uh, I don't know how we covered all the ground that we covered today. We have covered a lot. Uh, I love talking with you. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. Likewise, I appreciate it. This is my best.